Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. Today, we are recording episode 126, and it is another one of our Author Spotlight episodes. We have Susan L. Markloff here with us today. So welcome, Susan. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So Susan is a young adult slash new adult fantasy author based in Philadelphia. She began writing in her teens and her books and ideas have grown alongside her into adulthood as she experimented with and nurtured her passion. Outside her writing life, Susan enjoys the outdoors with interests in traveling, hiking, kayaking and photography. And on lazy days, she can be found playing video games or snuggling with her dog Pinkerton, who we can see in the background. And he is adorable and (laughs) ginormous <laughs> he is a very big boy the name is so cute <laughs> it's really cute if you want I can go on a little bit of a tangent about where his name came from because a lot of people find it a very unique name for a great dame pitbull mix <laughs> I'd love yeah, to know I must say that I expected like a little like cute dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I think most people do they hear that name and they think oh it's going to be a cute little like portable dog and (laughs) he's 85 pounds and is a great name pit mix so Stephen Kellogg is a children's author and illustrator and as a kid I loved his books and he wrote a bunch of books about this little girl with her great Dane that was white with black spots named Pinkerton that's amazing and I always told myself if I got a great Dane he was going to be named Pinkerton and I found him in the rescue and I was like yep nope that's Pinkerton. <laughs> like, I've been looking for you my whole life. It, pretty much, yeah. And and he's perfect. He's super chill. He's old now. He's 10 and a half, but he's a very good boy and handles a lot of things really well, like me being away for extended periods of time. Yep. I love that it also has a literary origin as well of his name. <laughs> it children's, is great. children's literature, but also literary all the same. Yep. Yeah. As many things in my life tend to be, it all kind of goes back to stories in some way, shape or form. And on that note, uh, one of the questions that we like to begin with is how did you first get started writing and when did you begin to think about pursuing it more seriously and think about getting your book published? Yeah. So my story is like, it's a little convoluted in a way. I first started getting the idea for my story in middle school but I didn't it was weird none of my siblings or my family members are really super creative in that way especially in writing and all of my friends around me in middle school and high school they weren't into being creative in that way like we were in choir and orchestra and things like that but I didn't know anyone that was daydreaming the way that I was daydreaming (laughs) So I thought that I was kind of weird because not many, you know, girls in middle school and high school are daydreaming about slaying dragons. Or so I thought, because like no one was talking about like having these sorts of epic daydreams. So I kind of like pretended like I didn't have this story that I wanted to write. And it wasn't until after high school that one of my brothers kind of cornered me almost and was like, what do you want to do with your life? As every 18 year old gets asked and you're supposed to know the answer. <laughs> and and um, 
like we got into this really long conversation that eventually he got out of me that I had this story that I wanted to write. And I was like absolutely petrified about like telling him because I hadn't told anyone for like six years. I just sort of had this idea, these characters, this kind of rough story idea. But I hadn't said out loud, I have a story and I want to tell it. And after, I don't know, a few hours of us sitting and me really awkwardly (laughs) kind of walking him through what I had in my head, he sat there in silence for a moment and then he went, you know, I want to read this. And my brain went, wait, what? Like, this is the part where you're supposed to tell me this is crazy or like, oh, you know, pursue another dream (laughs) or goal or something like, okay, yeah, you're, you're nuts. Like, let that go. And um, instead, he encouraged me. And for about a year afterward, every time that he saw me, he would say, how's the book coming? And that's when I really started to genuinely be like, okay, what is this that I've got in my head? Because I had all these characters, but all I had written up until then was a bunch of like little like scenes and Mm -hmm. bits of dialogue and things like that. I had no idea how to start a story. So I just sat down and I started writing because that was all I could think to do. Logically. (laughs) Yeah. And I tried to write chronologically. That didn't work. So I just wrote scenes kind of as they came to me and figured out where they went. Because every time that I outlined, it just went every possible direction (laughs) when I sat down to actually write, except the outline. So it was like, well, this isn't helping at all. So yeah, I wound up then spending my college years really refining my craft. I decided to get a major, like have a major in creative writing and really worked out, okay, what is this story that I have? What do I want to do with it? And then about 10 years later, I finally published the first book, but it took me a while between graduating from college to publication. And a lot of it was wrapped up in trying to pay off student loans so you're taking jobs to pay off those loans so that Mm -hmm. you can get out from under them and pursue the things that you want to do Mm -hmm. and yeah it definitely was a winding journey but when I finally did reach the point that it was like okay we've got this figured out we're gonna go ahead and start publishing and I didn't get to that point until I actually kind of scrapped the five books drafts that I wrote in college and started over again in 2017. And that was because two of my beta readers who are incredibly, incredibly critical of stories kind of came to me and were like, hey, there are some problems like with what you've got so far. And I was like, oh, really? Like this <laughs> start all over. Like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? Yeah. But I mean, I'm so grateful for to them for being that critical because what they pointed out was like, yeah, things didn't make sense. The world felt empty. My characters and their relationships didn't feel real. And it was only in deconstructing it and rebuilding it that I built a story that feels a whole lot more believable despite all the fantastical elements. And I'm forever indebted to them for being bold enough and critical enough to say to their friend, hey, this is a problem. And if you really want to do this, you should do it well and Mm -hmm. not just rely on flying by the seat of your pants, essentially. So yeah, 2017 was when I started back at square one, pulled out everything that was good from the original story and then rewrote all five books because I am not a plotter at all. (laughs) (laughs) And 
Yeah. And then in 2021, I pursued publishing because I was like, okay, everything makes sense. We've got things that are going to make, like connect properly to book five that are being talked about in book one and everything ties together well. So, and we're now at a point that I felt confident in the like version of the story and the edition number, like draft (laughs) number, I guess, (laughs) of book one. I mean, God only knows how many drafts, at least 20 that I've gone through of book one, uh, The Rise of the Raiden, that like, I'm grateful for it because each one got better, but it's still like, when I stop and think about how long I spent on it, it's like, oh, good Lord. Like, but <laughs> yeah, so it it was 2021 that I finally was like, we can do this. And yeah, now here we are that it's published and book two is out. And yeah, so that's that's my kind of convoluted journey of how, what got me interested in writing and how we kind of got to publishing. I really like that I feel in some ways you've taken a, a quite a similar road to us. <laughs> so it's very relatable for us, Aww, I think. that's great. Because, you know, we started, well, we probably started a little bit earlier. You know, we started in our um, teens in high school and, mm-hmm. yeah, we put it down for a while, came back to it and, like, redid the whole thing, like, say, went through a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that because I, I hear quite a few stories of, like, oh, you know, well, I, I had this – I feel like it goes either two ways. Either people, like, make this first book and then mm-hmm. they, they kind of realise that it's really not quite as good as what they wanted it to be. So they either just mm-hmm. kind of, like, put it aside, put it in a drawer, they're like, yeah, nah, that's just, like – the practice one or <laughs> they do what we did and what you did which is to like come back to it and be like okay this whole thing needs to be rewritten from square one <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so you know it takes a lot of tenacity so I think it, it's great that you went back and did that and the like accepting the beta reader comments it can be like so hard to go back to that oh, square one yeah yeah. And the first time it's always the worst, like especially when it's people that you value their opinion and you're like, "Okay, here's my book baby," quote unquote. And hey, like just read this and please be honest, but in the back of your head you're like, "And if you're honest, please let it all be good." <laughs> please don't tell me that it's garbage. I just want them to pick up on like like I want honest feedback. But I want like the honest feedback to be like minor things for them to be like, oh well, you know, <laughs> right. this thing could be improved, and this. But overall, you know, it's great, it's amazing. <laughs> we just need to fix these couple little things, and yeah, and yeah. That one friend that's like, hey, so this whole plot, we get rid of it, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And you're like, you're like, just live in fear of that, like, oh well, you've got a major plot hole right here. <laughs> and you're like oh god please no (laughs) Uh yeah yeah the the, I think every author's greatest fear that a beta reader is going to go hey here's a giant plot hole that you missed and it's like oh thanks it's only fixable (laughs) by rewriting the entire book (laughs) yep yep oh god (laughs) I was wondering you said that you did a major in creative writing Mm -hmm. I was wondering how helpful you found that for writing your because you wrote it I guess during your degree I'm assuming in college yep. but then you were yeah. like really obviously your beta readers were like um sorry issues and then you had to rewrite it so I'm kind of interested in 
like a reflection back. Yeah, no. So, okay, as much as I love the college that I went to, I went to Houghton College, which is like in the middle of nowhere, New York State. I'm not even kidding. It's like 45 minutes to get to anywhere. (laughs) It's surrounded by cow fields and just like it is a very small school. And I love it for that. And I met my best friends there. And there's so much value to what I had from college. But Mm -hmm. I will be the first to admit that the writing program wasn't great for an extended narrative writer like myself. Most of my creative writing classes were short stories. And you want to know the one thing that I'm deplorable at? (laughs) Short stories. Like, there's poetry. I'm terrible at that. But I'm also terrible at short stories. And it was like every creative writing class I took was short story based. And the number of times my professor, when we would talk about like, the analysis of them kind of she would be Mm -hmm. like this is a great first chapter and i would just be like i know (laughs) (laughs) i'm terrible at short stories (laughs) like i wish that like i was more confident back then because i think i would have said yeah and that should probably tell us something about the type of writer that i am i'm not a short story writer can we come up with a different curriculum for me like there's got to be something Mm -hmm. but you know you're a kid it's it's hard to be your own advocate um especially if you're introverted at all like i tend to be so yeah but the thing that honestly i got the most out of from my creative writing major was my senior seminar project so my last semester of college we had to do a senior seminar project in writing. And the way that our professor set it up was that we had to design our own syllabus and like come up with our own curriculum for the semester. And so with that, it was like we had to choose what our final project kind of was. And for some people, it was like, oh, they were going to do a collection of poems. Some people were going to do a collection of short stories. And some people were like, oh, yeah, I want to write a longer book of some sort, like a novella. And I chose a novella. And the whole reason why our professor set it up that way, he had published and has published a couple uh, poetry books. And he knows that the biggest hurdle of writing tends to be giving yourself the time to write like, and mm-hmm. to edit, to do the job. Like That dedication, if you don't do it, like no one's going to sit there and tell you, okay, now it's time for you to write. And that was the thing he kept telling us, like, you're not going to graduate from college and immediately have like this person that stands over you and says, hey, it's time for you to go write. Like, so you can get your next goal met. Like, no, nine times out of 10, you kind of got to be your own cheerleader and you have to be the one dedicated enough to do this. Like, and if you decide not to, if you constantly fall back on like, oh, well, I don't feel like it. I'm too busy, whatever. You're never going to reach the goal that you want to do of finishing whatever story it is, whether it's a short story or a collection of poems or an extended narrative like what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that was insanely valuable to me. Like the amount of encouragement that he offered to us of like, you have to find the time and make the time to pursue this and to hone your craft. And out of all of my writing classes, that was the one that I would be like, yep, that was worth my degree because he gave us so much actual, practical, real life, like, this is what it's like to be a writer. And yeah, I loved it in many ways and hated it in others, uh, but (laughs) I also minored in business. Like, I I took a minor that was kind of practical. (laughs) 
Well, I feel like you need those skills as you're developing your writing career as well. Some business Mm -hmm. skills are definitely a plus to have. It certainly has come in handy, that's for sure. (laughs) So speaking of how do you juggle your writing with sort of life and work and your other creative, any other creative projects that you might have? Yeah, uh, no, that's a great question. So the last five years, I have been a summer camp director. So what that meant was like for three months out of the year, I couldn't do any writing related stuff. It just, it wasn't possible because it was all camp things and it was 24 seven running a summer camp. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst part about that job. As much as I love it and loved it and kind of miss it in many ways, it was one of those things that to not be able to do anything writing related for three months was almost torture. (laughs) (laughs) But the rest of the year, the way that I've juggled things is like, yeah, no, 1030 to 230 in the morning is my writing time. And the reason why is one, I've always been more productive at night. And two, my family and friends tend to be asleep and they're not texting me. They're not calling me like I'm not getting bombarded with stuff. And it just provides me with four solid hours of like, yep, no, we can do writing related stuff. And having that scheduled time was helpful. And then if I had other time throughout the week, I could just jump in and do, okay, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on that. But like, I always knew that I had set aside this chunk of time Mm -hmm. to be able to write. And that's what's been my greatest help throughout this, the last five years, especially is just like, yeah, no, we can hammer a lot out if we just are dedicated to that time is that time. And I mean, granted, you're always going to have times where you find yourself having to be like, I need to take a break. But there's also the sometimes it's just laziness. And sometimes it is legitimate, like, no, if we keep going, we're going to have burnout. And it's it takes a while to figure out which yeah. is which. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that was one of the biggest ways. Just setting aside dedicated time was super, super helpful for me. And specifically time that like the rest of the world knew what I was doing. Most of them were asleep, but a few of them were still <laughs> awake until like midnight. But my friends and family knew, oh, okay, it's it's 1030. I'm going to be shooting her a text, but like she might not get back to me until the next morning. Because, you know, the focus mode was on the phone and I was keeping notifications on the computer minimized and Mm -hmm. it was just, no, we are tunnel visioning. Because otherwise it can be really easy to just fall out of practice of giving yourself time to write. And yeah, yeah, that's where a lot of my professors old, like you have to make the time (laughs) came in. Yeah, yeah, no, give yourself the time. Because if you don't give yourself the time, like the world probably isn't going to give you time to write. Reality isn't. Because if you're involved with friends and family, and if you have a job and you have all these other things you're trying to do, you have to find the time. And sometimes it's by doing like carved out time, like I was able to do because my schedule was set. But other times it's like, yeah, no, it's like when I used to work retail, it was like any moment I had, I was writing. Even if it was, I'm at the, I used to work as an assistant manager in a store. And it was like, if I was standing waiting, you know, just kind of waiting for things to pick up or whatever, it would be like, if I got a story idea, I had a pad of paper in my back pocket and I would just quickly jot it down. Because 
I knew the chances of me having time carved out was going to be slim because my schedule was all over the place and I was working like 50 plus hours a week. So yeah, it was just, it's a matter of kind of molding your writing time to whatever your schedule is. And if you can do carved out time, that can be really helpful. It's not for everyone though, which I can totally appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm impressed that you managed to do that at like night from 10 30 to 2 because <laughs> I've tried it and I'm like you know there was a period of time where I was like yeah yeah Ashley because you know her being in New Zealand me being in Canada I was like mm-hmm. oh we can do like podcasts at night it'll be fine <laughs> like because her little one was born after mine and so mine was still quite little and I was like yeah yeah I'm awake half night anyways like <laughs> I can do it <laughs> I feel like those are famous last words. I'm like a zombie. I'm just like, it's midnight. I haven't gone to bed yet. I can't do it. (laughs) I, I, yeah, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things. I have several friends who have kids that they'll be like, you know, before you have your first one, you're like, oh, I'm going to be up periodically throughout the night anyway. I'll be able to get things done. It's like, yeah, no, no. You're just like, must sleep, must sleep. Yeah, probably any opportunity that you can grab because raising a child is a full-time job in and of itself. I'm constantly amazed by people that have kids and are writers and they have jobs. And it's like, how? Like, I think I don't sleep a lot. You guys definitely don't sleep. There are people who are much better at it than me, though, because I'm not one of those people who can, like, let sleep go and be like, yeah, it's all right. I only got, like, a couple hours last night, but it's fine. (laughs) No. (laughs) I've tried. I've tried, but I'm not that person. I have a friend who's, like, you know, her, her son wakes up every one and a half hours and then she finally at like four in the morning, like co-sleeps or something because she like needs more sleep. But um, I don't know how she does it. <laughs> it baffles me. I mean, I will freely admit that I don't sleep enough. I, I just don't. I know that I tend to average six hours every night and most people are like, how do you function? It's like, I've always been that way. Even through college, I was like, oh yeah, 3 a.m. to 9 that's my sleep schedule. I'm good. And yeah. But- so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it does help me get a lot done. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Anyways, we should move on. So you talked a little bit about how you tried to outlining. So I'm <laughs> I'm guessing you fall more in the, the pants side of things, but do you want to have a chat a little bit more about that or? Yeah, no, um, I'm happy to talk about that. I, I am 100% a pantser. Every outline I have tried to do has ended in disaster. <laughs> I love that you've tried, though. <laughs> I, I'm always willing to admit that my brain might finally align correctly and, like, <laughs> we're going to be able to do this thing that we've always been told is the right way to do things. But, yeah, part of the reason why I'm I'm not a plotter is... My characters have this magical ability to just do world-breaking things in the 11th hour, and it makes me have to go, uh, how how did you do that? Like, <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to do that. But then as I sit and I think about it, it's like, oh, no, actually they could because of this. But now we have to go back to the other drafts, like the other books, 
and make sure that it makes sense like that there's mm-hmm. foreshadowing yeah, leading yeah. up to this but you can't just plonk it in yeah right that's why i wrote all five books before i published book one because my characters have this ability of like oh hey we're in book four and i'm gonna do this thing in the you know final act of book four and it's like you've been around since book one we have like you've never shown any of this like (laughs) what are you doing and the other reason why is quite frequently when i sit down to write i always know where like my books are starting i know where they're ending and i'll have like a few things in the middle that's like oh yeah i know this is going to happen at some point Mm -hmm. but connecting all of that i don't know And it's because as I'm writing, I feel like I'm just sort of following my characters as they're going on a journey. And I'm just like writing down whatever's happening because they do. They tend to act in their own way quite frequently. (laughs) And I'll be like, well, you're still acting in a way that is fully in your character. But like, it's not what I had intended for you to do. And they're just sort of like, yeah, no, I one of my characters is going to go down in history as the reason why I am not a a plotter and it's because like book four i was writing a scene for him and i'm like okay and now you leave and he's like i do not leave and it's like but you have to (laughs) like you can't stay and it was like and that's when he did something that was world breaking and it's like okay like it's in your character i know why you're adamant that you can't just leave but like I now have to go back and fix all of this. So it, yeah, I would love to be a plotter. I really would because I think it would save me a lot of time because my first drafts tend to be terrible. (laughs) I totally understand characters having a mind of their own. (laughs) Yeah. So that is me. That, that is me as a a pantser. 100%. (laughs) I think a lot of people fall on the pantsing it's actually interesting i always assumed like more people would be plotters i mean we we are because we kind of have to with writing for two people Mm. but yeah it's interesting that like lots of people are kind of like nope nope i tried plotting it doesn't work (laughs) i know quite a few younger kids like through instagram i i've been able to get plugged in pretty well to the younger writing community and the number of like high school college age kids that they're like hardcore plotters and they think i'm this weirdo because of the fact that i'm a pantser and it's like kids i swear i'm not the only one like there are more of us i promise i'm not the only pantser i think it's because you know there's so many different resources that trend towards plotting you know and Mm -hmm. so if you go about it from a more like logical frame of mind like I'm gonna become a writer I'm gonna like study up on it then it kind of leads you into plotting but it doesn't necessarily suit everyone's style so well and even like if you think about at least in the American education system like English classes are oh you come up with the plan then you outline and then you write your paper Mm -hmm. I was the weirdo that would always write the paper and then the outline because my again even with essays like I would write the paper and it wouldn't match my outline. Then I would get docked for the fact that it didn't match my outline. It's like, but that's because I came up with something better. Isn't my paper good? Like, who cares <laughs> if it followed the outline? So I feel like a lot of people, especially younger kids, like when they start to say, I want to be a writer, their natural inclination is, well, we learned outline first and then follow the outline. Statement, example, explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I, I remember actually, like, one of the 
papers that we did was like a literature review and you got to like choose your own like theme and so I as typical like chose like the broadest theme imaginable so I could just like (laughs) choose like random books or movies off shelves and it would fit which was overcoming hardship so kids if anyone's listening to this that's a good theme that you can get by with a lot of different resources (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) got to be strategic about these things (laughs) yes so anyways you've mentioned the series you have as a whole Mm -hmm. but you do have your first book in the series the rise of the raiden out at the Mm -hmm. moment would you like to tell us a bit more about that uh sure so the rise of the raiden is in its simplest terms it is a story that follows a high school senior that has to defend her high school from dragons with only the help of her friends and her protectors because primarily the bulk of the book takes place in one day okay and it deals with it's got dragons it has werewolves it has other mythical creatures that i made up for the world and our main protagonist jen is I call them hybrids. We would call them dragonborn. They're half human, half dragon creatures, Mm -hmm. which basically was my way of like being like, oh, yeah. And that's why, you know, they can shoot energy from their hands and fight with it and make (laughs) shields. And, oh, they have wings. And because I've always wanted to fly. So a little bit of this is like my own wanting to be able to do things that I just can't in reality. And. Yeah, so the first book is all about Jen having to defend her high school from dragons and learning that she's not the only one that is a human-born hybrid, that is human, like they are from Earth, and they are born with the same abilities of these hybrids that are part dragon. So, yeah, that is the premise of book one. (laughs) I love the dragons at high school element. (laughs) I've always been a fan of finding a way to make our world fantastical in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I I think that's really cool because, like, I don't know, I I like the sort of reality around, like, our world, but having something extra that's different always mm-hmm. gives things a bit of a twist and makes it more interesting. So we've talked a lot about the ups and downs you've had with getting the series published I Mm -hmm. was wondering if you could outline some of your what some of your biggest challenges have been so far Uh, that's a really good question probably truthfully one of the biggest challenges has been the marketing side of it so there's a period of my life where I wound up in the print industry like literally selling print related items of like oh paper and flyers and banners and things of that mm-hmm. nature which has become stupid helpful in writing because i understand <laughs> a whole lot more about like the publishing process than your average bear because it's like oh i understand color coding and why you need to have cmyk versus rgb yeah. color for your cover and <laughs> going on ingram spark and they're like we only accept this particular oh, yeah. and, then, right. and then there's ingram spark who's just like <laughs> we don't want any color profile but we're not going to tell you what color profile we want we're just going to tell you we don't want a yeah, color profile you're like well fine then how do i <laughs> right? it's like, it this way i have to download this. software now <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. 
But yeah, and because I worked in the print industry, I naturally learned a lot about marketing and branding and things of that nature because of all the different clients that I was working with and could kind of tell like what made a good brand versus what made a bad brand. And as an author, you have to become you you inevitably have to become your own brand in some way, shape or form. And establishing that is hard, especially in the social media world like it algorithms are changing left right and everywhere and you never even know necessarily what is changing you just suddenly know that nothing's working like you haven't changed anything but all of a sudden none of your posts are getting out there and none of your like marketing campaigns are working it's like okay what happened what changed then you have to do this like research digging to find out what hashtag you have to change (laughs) to be able to like get on the radar and it's it's just like the fact that Tech is amazing in so many ways because it allows for us to have in our modern era, like I can write a crappy first draft and I don't have to like, that's not my only draft. I can go back and I can edit and it's super easy because of the tech age that we're in. But on the flip side of that, it's ever changing. And that's most evident in social media, which is one of our biggest marketing like platforms as writers because that's like the the face of you anymore is what are you doing on social media the reason i wound up going the self-publishing route versus the traditional route is because anymore a lot of traditional houses want you to already have an established like following and brand in a way mm-hmm. on social media and i wasn't there yet like when i was like yep we're gonna start publishing and yeah the number of houses that when i was like looking at pursuing just sending unsolicited manuscripts to and they were like oh yeah and what's your social media presence like and it's like uh (laughs) it's there (laughs) i am present (laughs) (laughs) i am here i i I have arrived but i don't do much like because i i haven't found my people yet (laughs) and and that's the hardest part is like once you find your fandom or rather, once your fandom finds you, because every author already has fans out there. It's just a matter of finding them because everyone's already writing to a niche, like whatever that niche is. Like we all already have fans. We just have to find them. They have to find us. And it's a matter of getting through all of those different algorithms and hoping that you get shared by the right person or that you whatever, like the right person picks up your book and shows the cover of it and makes people go, oh, that looks cool. Like, I'm slowly getting that because of the fact that by some miracle, I have been able to get plugged in with a lot of young people on social media, specifically on Instagram, that I've been able to build a community with them and be part of that community. But it's like, it's still because it's ever changing. It's just like, this is annoying. Like the moment that you think you've got a pattern, you've got a system down, something changes. So in marketing sense, it's like you have to have a fluid brand almost like, and that's hard to do, Um, especially when you have companies like Canva, which it's great. Don't get me wrong. But if everyone is using Canva, everyone's going to start to look a little similar. Mm -hmm. It's just it. So that's why graphic designers like legitimate graphic designers are so valuable today because of the tech era, because they can build things that you can't build on Canva. They can make you a logo you've never seen before, like or at least looks different than everything you're seeing on Canva. And it's great for kids that are just getting started and they're trying to build their brand. But like 
you then have professionals who are trying really hard to establish who they are and what they write and everything that they do and they're getting caught up in the same the sameness of yeah looking identical to everyone else who's using canva it's a great tool but i personally don't use it just because it there's too much yeah, similar yeah to it we don't either i think one of the things that we've learned is that one of the most valuable things that we did was to hire an actual cover designer and i know a lot of people don't have the funds necessarily to be able to do right. that but i would say it was one of the most beneficial things for us because we constantly have people look at the cover and be like oh wow that looks really professional which mm-hmm. is you know a good start <laughs> getting people to <laughs> read you your want. book <laughs> definitely yeah well because unfortunately the world does judge books by their cover they like it's, it's literally what happens so <laughs> yeah it's a saying but it's directly contradictory to what it's like the don't judge a book by its cover it's like literally everyone judges every book by their cover mm-hmm. like yeah that's the thing that people see first and if they don't feel compelled to pick it up they're never going to find out if it's worth it yeah yeah i think there's a ton of value in investing in proper cover design definitely so do you have any other projects on the horizon or are you continuing with this series or what's what's in the future yeah so I I like to say that I'm a one-trick pony. I only have one world that I'm writing in for now. Maybe once it's all out, that might change. But at least for right now, it's all one world. But in that, I have a lot of stories I want to tell. The series that The Rise of the Raiden starts is a five-book series. The second book just came out last month. And the third book, hopefully, if all goes according to plan, will be early next year. Mm-hmm that'll be released but before all of that i have a pretty large project i'm working on right now uh like i said the rise of the raiden primarily takes place over the course of one day and like i said jen finds out that she isn't the only human born hybrid and there are six other kids out there just like her essentially that are part of this prophecy because it's young adult fantasy of course there's a prophecy it's got to be a prophecy (laughs) (laughs) and we meet those other kids in the second book. And I had always wanted to be able to tell the stories of these other kids and their origin stories and what they went through on the day that they were attacked. Cause they were all attacked at the same time on the same day. And that's what I'm doing this year. Uh, this year I am planning to publish starting in July, six novellas, one novella a month. So from July to December, I plan on telling the other six stories And things are moving along well with that. I'm excited for it because, like, we're almost on the editing stage. And then it's like, I start working on covers next month. And exciting. It's, yeah, yeah. We're starting to enter the fun stage of like, yes, about to be real. So it's, it's been a long process because it's just like hammering out six novellas has been like, okay, we need to get these turned around quickly. So I wrote all of them last year and it's been, the last three months has been me just editing them and making sure that everything meshes correctly with the series. And Mm -hmm. I'm excited for it, but I'm also like, I'm looking forward to when it's over. Yeah. 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 Editing's a really big job and it always feels like it keeps, it's never ending as well. Yeah. Yeah. Every time that you're like, ah, 
done. This is the last round of editing. Then you like pull it up and you have the computer read it to you and you're like, oh, look at all those typos. <laughs> Commas are the bane of my existence. I love even that's a like surface like typo stuff. It's like the first one when you like read it over and you're like, nope. <laughs> Mm-hmm. just nope yep <laughs> <laughs> rewrite this like entire section and then there'll be like mm-hmm. a couple like paragraphs you're like yeah yeah that can stay and then you'll be like rewrite this blog <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much That's where I'm, I'm at, at the moment so <laughs> oh really oh gosh I'm sorry <laughs> oh it's it's enjoyable in its own way kind of kind of you, re- time. you look over the stuff that you've rewritten and you're like, that's way better. Why didn't I do that the first time? But yeah. <laughs> In a way, editing can be great yeah. because there is a portion of it that is just like, it's the refining process, yes. you know, and you're pulling out a better version Very of your story. Satisfying, I think, once you like go over But there's also it. times where you're just staring at the screen going, I know I can say this better, but I don't know how. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah. oh, that is totally it. <laughs> like half the time spent editing I don't understand how I change this to make it better mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to change but how <laughs> well especially because half the time you're like it's technically fine but no <laughs> <laughs> yeah technically it's yeah, okay but especially if like you're using a cliche or like just a metaphor that you've heard before and you're like it's not wrong <laughs> yeah. but it's also not quite right <laughs> yes ashley's talked before about the phenomenon of like you know you like polish up like these really bad parts of it and then you read over and then you're like well now they're more polished and the thing in the middle that was fine <laughs> done again. it's so true <laughs> anyways ways of editing <laughs> Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't covered? Like anything that you're like, oh, I really want to talk about like this cool thing that I've been doing or I don't know, just putting it out there. There's nothing that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, one of the things that I always like to try to remind anyone is the fact that like if they think that they've missed their chance at being an author, that's not true. As we were talking about before, the fact that both of us had situations where we wrote chunks of our stories or we wrote and we wrote the whole series and then we wound up being like, and back to square one, even though it was going, quote unquote, back to square one, that was still progress, like because part of that process was us acknowledging that it was like, no, we can tell this story better. There's a better version of this story here. And yeah, we have to, quote unquote, start over. But we're really not. We're writing a whole new story. Yeah. We're crafting a whole new story. And it's it's why I kind of like to... It's why I like to call writing more like a hike than a marathon. Like, I know a lot of people will say, like, writing and publishing, it's a marathon. Like, you can't... Don't sprint through it. And I kind of feel like hiking is almost like a better metaphor because it's like hikes are something that all sorts of people can do and even people who aren't super physically active can hike they just might go a little slower 
And I feel like that's how most people start out with writing. They, and they've got like this, uh, oh yeah, I'm so excited. We're going to do this. And they start out and they, uh, then they reach like, you know, the incline starts to kick up and they start to get <laughs> tired and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And they sit down and they're gasping and they're wheezing. And meanwhile, someone else is just like, jogging on by like oh hi you know don't mind me I've done this before but I feel like that's the writing process you have you have these people who are starting out they get exhausted when the incline kicks up but someone who's already done it before they just breeze right on through because it's like yep nope I've got this and they stop and they look at the person who's struggling they go hey you okay like do you need some water hey let me encourage you for a minute like and like you know it that person who's already done it before kind of like gives the pat 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 they're there it's okay you can do this like take your time take a break like don't kill yourself it's okay you're gonna reach that mountain it just might take you a little while and that's okay just because someone else is breezing up the mountain and going oh they turn around they write a book and they publish it all in the same year and it's showered and praised as this great book maybe your book needs 15 years to figure out like mine. Like I like to think that my book is a good example of like some books need forever because we're idiots and we need time to figure it out. Like we have to grow <laughs> into our talent and it just, it, that's okay. Like if I were to look at it and be like, well, it took me 15 years, so it must be garbage and I'm just not going to try. I wouldn't be sitting here with two books published and my debut is an award-winning book. Like, and, and I have to kind of own that because it's like, okay, yeah, it took 15 years, but look at what it became. Like, look at where it was able to go. And some books need that time. Some stories need that like refining time to become the best version of them that they need to be. And that's okay. Whether you're writing a book and publishing it in a year or you're taking two or three years to write your book, that's your time. That's your process. Like, try not to get caught up in what everyone else is doing, which is hard because social media makes yep. it all seem like it's so much easier for everyone else. Yes. And it, it isn't. Like, all of us are struggling with something. It's just how transparent are we being as writers, as authors that have gone through it before that, yeah, no, it's still hard. Like this hike is still getting tricky. Like, even though I've done this before, we've reached the point of the mountain that it, the incline kicked up and I thought I was more prepared than I actually was. And I'm tired and I need to sit down. And I need to take a break, even though I've done this before. So yeah, if you're out there and you're sitting thinking at all that you can't, you totally can. And you're allowed to take your time to write and craft your story the way that your story is meant to be told because someone else's story that's a different story it's theirs yours is yours and it's going to need the time that it needs to come to fruition very wise words and i must say i really like the idea of the hiking analogy much better than marathon because i feel like <laughs> you know a lot of people have been on hikes, less so marathons. I've never done a marathon before. I probably <laughs> never will. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like when you get to the, you know, three-quarter mark of the marathon and you're tired or what. Like, I have zero clue what it's like to run a marathon. Let's be real. <laughs> I know what it is to hike and be tired hiking and be a beginner hiker. And, you know, so I feel like a lot more people can actually relate to that. Definitely. <laughs> 
it's just it's something I used. I was talking with one of the many kids that I've connected with on Instagram, and I started being like, "Imagine riding as a hike." I was like, "Have you ever gone on a hike before?" And they were like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Did you ever get tired and you had to like sit down and take a break?" And they were like, "Yeah." And I was like, "That's what riding is. You're allowed to stop, sit down, take a break. It's okay. Like otherwise, you're gonna get burnt out. Like it's it's okay. Take a break." And that's when I started to be like, "I think that this is a better metaphor." Yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Anyways, we should start to wrap this episode up. But before we do, where can people find your books? And if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, Yeah, sure. So all of my books are available on Amazon. Um, All of them are available on Kindle Unlimited. And then they're also available through Barnes & Noble. I sell signed copies on my website which is just susanlmarkloff.com. And that's one of the ways you can get in touch with me. But one of the other ways that people can get in touch with me is through social media. I'm fairly active on Instagram and Facebook. And both of them, the handle is just at Susan L. Markloff, all one word. And yeah, that's those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed our chat today. And, you know, I think it's been very relatable hearing your story and very inspiring so thank you oh i'm glad to hear that thank you so much for having me this was a blast i'm glad you had a good time we always you know enjoy having these conversations with different authors it's always you know really it's always so interesting to hear how people have gotten to where they are mm-hmm. and the journey that they've been on you can always learn so much from other authors so thanks a lot for coming on the show yeah happy to be here If you would like to be on an author spotlight section just like Susan has, you can go to lindersoncreations.com, hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and you will find a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's going to be another one of our craft episodes, and we're going to be taking a deep dive into the historical fiction genre. And if you'd like to know more about us and our writing projects, you can visit us at the aforementioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm-hmm.